Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, April 29th. We've got a big day lined up for you. We're going to open the phone lines right now, so start dialing 855-950-3835. If you dial right now, I promise you'll get a line. I'll be getting to those calls here in a bit. Let's bring in John. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Glad to be here. Welcome back to the program. Seems like we just did this a week ago. We did. It's like three in a row. I know. Uh, This is fun. I I have to warn you, I'm I'm a little busy today, too. I'll give as much as I can, but but I might have to to bounce whenever... when Joel gets here, maybe, or we'll, we'll see. We'll play it by ear. I'm that's, at the racetrack, as usual. That's fine. So. I, I, we, we love that. I think that's what uh, makes this segment so cool, is you guys are both out doing all of this stuff every day, and I have to interrupt you so you can help us out. Oh, no problem. It's, it's a lot of fun. So what's I on know, your mind so this Have week? you made it back to work? Um, not quite. Uh, I'm closer, let's say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And... And still, still running well then. Absolutely beautiful. Like, if you want to, um, you can set the cruise at seventy-five. I might be in a little more of a hurry this time than normal. Um, and this thing, this thing never even slows down or downshifts ever. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Do you, do you have a way to manually lock? transmission can you is there a switch to, to put the transmission in the lockup no i actually can't i only have two options i have econ mode which i never use because it really shifts funky in econ mode or just straight uh, automatic right. so if it wanted to downshift i wouldn't uh-huh. be able to stop it from it but uh so far it hasn't found a hill that it needs to downshift on even at 75 <laughs> that's fun isn't it You're yeah not having to downshift yeah it really is <laughs> Uh, and it seems uh, like we've uh, we topped out at about 58 pounds of boost. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, be careful with that. I am. I um, am. I only did that. A, okay. Only let the crews do that a couple times. Yeah. Those, those cat cylinder heads aren't as solid as people like to think. Yeah. They, they, they tend, to, tend to crack. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Watch that boost pressure. Will do. Yeah. What's on your mind this week? I've got some... Uh, this project I'm on with the team that I'm working with this year, you know, I'm still with the same team I've been with for four or five years now. I guess it be my fifth season with JDC. Um, but um, working on a project with a club racing prototype that races in SCCA club racing that is really aero intensive and we have no rules. We have a box. We have an engine size, a weight, uh, a restrictor that has to be on an engine if we run the engine of a certain size. And everything in the middle, we could do whatever we want with. That sounds like fun. We could use fun. any materials. We could use anything at all. It is a hoot. It is It is a hoot. And uh, we're pretty well funded. The, the owner of the car he had a conversation with me this morning and said, if there are any tools, shall we say, that you need, be it sensors, aero sensors, uh, pressure transducers to measure measure downforce or pitot tubes or anything I want for the car. He goes, why? Wow. He said, just get whatever you need. You know, or we get, yeah, just do it. So, yeah, this is an interesting situation for me. And it's all the stuff that I've been dreaming of doing to a truck, yeah. to be honest with you. I, obviously, I'm not here to make downforce as efficiently as I can and keep the thing as slick as it is and can be in a straight line. 
but you know the ability to measure airspeed and, and different pressures and so forth at different places uh, with the data system is something that I've really I've dabbled with in the past that I know the capabilities of, but something I really, really want to outfit a big rig with. I, I So I, I, we need to, you know, again, I don't know how we fund the project, but you, you look at some of the aero stuff that's out there, and I would love to do some serious testing on it with data, uh, not just the data that we get from, you know, filling up our tank and, and, and so, doing the math on the mileage, but exactly what's happening with this stuff. So let me ask so, you something because you know, I, 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 I know you're very familiar with this, so I know you'll have the answer. Um, I when I visited Smart Truck, where were they in South Carolina or North Carolina? South Carolina, yeah, they were in South Carolina. Yeah, yeah that's yep. what I thought. Um, I got a chance to visit them, and when I was in there, they had—I'm uh, pretty sure it was FedEx. Um, they had a tractor and a trailer in there. Um, I can't remember if they, I think they were just using one of their package pups um, running around the city and doing a couple other things. They had more stuff sticking to that truck and trailer than I had ever seen in my life. Uh, Is that the kind of stuff we're talking about here? That's exactly it. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Um, It it was incredible. We keep it that on the race car. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we integrate those sensors in a nice, neat, you know, manner on the race cars just because we have to, Um, you know, but we could do temporary, you know, placement of that stuff and run the wires and see, uh, yeah, is there, you know, what what actually does happen behind the cab? You know, okay, we've seen some some, uh, wind tunnel video of that or whatever, but you can put some pressure sensors and airspeed sensors back there and see what's going on in the gap. Exactly. You know, is there negative pressure? Is there positive pressure? Is there, you know, is there what's happening there precisely and then close the gap and get some more data on that so it's there's a lot that can be done and it's just uh it's addictive i mean i'm addicted to data i think it's uh you know the the more stuff i can look at and and finitely you know analyze the better and and i love it in the way that we do it graphically you know i i put up a you know a, a time distance plot and, uh, and it makes a line across it and at this speed it did this or it was it's really really neat and then i could overlay those lines right i can make a change and using gps plot out exactly the same places where we are and see exactly what happened there it's really really fun to do and it's just that you know one bit of it leads to more leads to more leads to more uh, i first started playing with race car data back in the 90s and you know just having speed and RPM and gear and brake pressure was huge. Like to see what the car was doing on the track. Like it was just, just yeah. huge and being able to overlay it, uh, you know, on the track itself. So I'd really like to take that into other places somehow and, you know, we, quantify, you know, what works and what doesn't and why, you know, we need yeah. to talk about that more because I think between the three of us, you and John and Joel and some of our other partners and people, you know, and, you know, groups in, in the industry, NACFI, uh, maybe we could get some funding for something like this. I, I, I think it would be worthwhile to at least sit down and kind of map it out and um, see what kind of funding it would take. And, you know, maybe we'll go look and see what we could put together. I, I've got a question for you. you. You've done a lot of this already, and, and now you've got the ability to do even more. H- how often do you do testing like this and then find out something we thought we knew just isn't true. Often. You wouldn't believe how often that happens. 
I'll bet. It's, uh, I, I call them happy, happy mistakes. Like right. you'll sometimes call a change to a mechanic on the car and you'll go with a standard, oh, we always soften to make more grip at that end or whatever. And you'll find that the mechanic turned the wrench the wrong way or, or did something and the car goes on and goes faster. And you're like, oh, great, that worked. And then <laughs> we do at the end of the weekend. <laughs> So the part of the, you'll like, you'll like this process and, and we will do at the end of a weekend because we have many adjustments we can make to the car. We'll do what's called a set down. You know, the setup is the email sheet that I, the email that I, the setup sheet that I emailed to the team before a race and they put all the stuff on the car and we go and we run. And then at the end of the weekend, they go back to the shop and they do what I call a set down, meaning they just measure everything, just check everything, like just, you know, check the camber, check every, everything that we thought was as on the sheet. And sometimes we find that we want a complete different direction than we thought on it, on a change. And the car was really quick and that makes me happy. Not mad. I'm not mad at the mechanic for making a mistake. I'm glad I learned something. I'm like that one convention, that one thing we thought we do. <laughs> right. Right. Really wasn't as we thought we knew it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is complicated stuff. And, you know, until you can find ways to measure it, you just do the best you can with the data you have. How many things could right. we learn about heavy truck fuel economy that we've just been wrong about? I'm sure there are going to be plenty, or maybe we kind of got it right, but there's a better way. You know, one of the things you've mentioned this, and and it never really clicked with me before, and I'm not sure why, but you said it a different way once recently, so I really started paying attention to it, and I'm just... I'll say this, I'm passing a lot of these trucks now instead of them passing me. I was in a little more of a hurry. Um, all of this aerodynamic <laughs> stuff all flapping in the wind. Yes. I, it can't possibly be helping anything. That's drag. It's creating drag. Yeah. That's not rigid. I see these side skirts on trucks just flapping away, and that is... That's bad. Anyone who knows, you know, Steve could tell you he knows airplanes. Uh, you know, that's just that's just a big, big no-no. I mean, think about it. You know, when you built model rockets in high school, some of them didn't have parachutes; they had streamers. The streamer slowed their rocket down enough that it didn't crash to the ground and, and break. It was just a streamer, right? So, so that's that thing on uh, on the side of your truck, on the side of your trailer. There, if it's flapping in the wind, it's just like a streamer that keeps your your, your rocket from crashing to the ground too too fast when you're a kid. It's just uh, drag. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, we're at, you you watch these things going down the road and I'm like, holy cow, we're doing the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. And again, all that stuff's there because of smart way or because of the tax break they the fleet got, whatever. They stuck it on hurriedly. They don't care if they actually got better fuel mileage or not. And it's just there. You know, it's it's a shame, but it is. And if you look at the numbers Joel gets without aero trailers, it's, it's, it's I think that's telling you something. Uh, you know, the things that I see on trailers to me, to me, the uh, smart truck stuff was the best, uh, largely because of what you said about them and their instrumentation. And I know the background of some of the guys who were involved there were racers. I mean, they were there in motorsport, so they know this process. They've done what I've done. And I believe the one guy was an aeronautical engineer. Even the other one was a, was a race engineer. They were they had a neat combination of people. And a lot of resources at first, and they did like some supercomputer CFD work and things with just just big, big 
you know, they drop models into the, into the, uh, into the CFD, which is a simulation software, shall we say, computational fluid dynamics. And it's, you know, it would have the same, actually probably more accurate than wind tunnel, to be honest with you, unless you have well, enough instrumentation on the wind tunnel. The thing that impressed me about that was they took me into that room where, with their computers where, you know, they put all this data in. But then I was blown away because, you know, if you have money today, you can build some pretty damn powerful computers without spending insane amounts of money. But... From what I gather, there aren't that many computers around that can do this kind of stuff, and they had to rent space on supercomputers to do this. They did at the government side. They used actually supercomputers that they were literally rented from 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 it was some mega computer in DC that they rented yeah. space on to do it. Yeah, uh, there's a computer in Canada that's of that as well at a company called Multimatic. And those are the only two computers that I know of or have read about that are powerful enough to do this kind of work. And, and that's what wow. Truck used. Wow. And when you look at, at their solutions that they had come up with, um, you know, they're simple. It's simple and clean. That little diffuser, that little bit that goes in front of the axle was more effective than those great big skirts that you see on the side of trucks. The, you know, what they call the ARD, ARG, the little laminar flow thing around the back of the trailer. Yeah. Like that was way more effective than, than anything back there just to fill in the void behind the truck. Think about it. There's a big vacuum back there. Yes. So they use laminar yep. flow to just direct some air and do it and fill it up. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting stuff. And, and so they, I was really impressed with that company. And, you know, I've, I've had numerous ideas. I got some of my madman sketchings. I have I've passed on to Steve and his son to look at and, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's fun. It, it's, it's just neat stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to put a testing program together, play with something. I, I'm almost at the point where I'm going to buy another rig for the team, and I think I could I could do this, uh, you know, for my business. You know, I've got a couple of guys who'd like to you know, haul them around and, and, and do some, you know, prep work and take look after their cars. And trying to figure out a way to justify or put the budget together to buy, you know, a modern enough truck to be relevant and, uh, you know, do some, to start doing some work on my own. I mean, I'd love, you know what I'd love to play with? I'd love to play with high I would love to play with lowering the truck a little bit. I, a, a splitter and ride height to get the air around it rather than under it. Because the underside of the truck, I mean, the underside of everything is possibly one of the draggiest surfaces and one of the most important surfaces for us in regard to downforce. Uh, but the drag created from the bottom of a car, um, it, it's amazing. Uh, so that's another one. Tires in the underside. So if you could seal that off, the better you seal that off, the better, you know, if you look at like Steve's, uh, he's got that splitter on the front of his truck and the big air dam you see on the front of the, the Freightliner Evos, uh, it's there, that, 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 that works. I, I'm convinced that works. Uh, you know, but that's, you know, there are neat things out there that I haven't seen. It'd be so easy to do an active ride height on a, on a, on a rig with air ride all around. You know, it'd be, yeah. it, it would look cool as hell going down the road. You're on a smooth enough road, just, we'll just put it on the deck. <laughs> yeah, you know what's kind of interesting. Um, I, I've talked about the fact I actually did the um, the first national commercial ever for FedEx. I can't remember if we were even FedEx then, or if we we might have been Caliber Logistics at the time. We went from uh, RPS to Caliber Logistics, and then FedEx came in and bought it. I can't remember which phase we were in at the time, uh, but they did their first national. C- commercial they wanted to film it in florida because of all the water and the palm trees and it looks cool and i had just taken delivery of a new tractor uh 
And when you hooked this tractor to a set of doubles, it looked so damn cool. It was actually a Ford, um, but it was a single axle uh-huh. sleeper. So the single axle just looks better anyway. And you can get that the cab nice and tight back to that pup. And the way that thing sat, it probably had one of the lowest front ends I've ever seen on a truck. And it, it, right. it looked... I, I mean, and I know we're talking about a 95 Ford here. Um, I know in reality the aerodynamics were nowhere near what we have today, but it looked really aerodynamic, and it looked really cool, and it looked right. like the front set down really low. i got to go find some pictures of that again. So that last version of the Ford Louisville with the smooth headlights and stuff really wasn't terrible aerodynamically. It had a, it had a nice windshield shape. With the, the, with the, the one with the composite headlights with the, with the smooth headlights, uh, the very yeah. end of that, that truck, what did they call it an Aero something, didn't they? Didn't they call it like an Aero Max? Yeah, it was, it was an Aero Max, yeah. It was Aero Max, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was a cool truck. I, I still see a, a few of those floating around the racing paddock. I, I, uh, every now and then, I, I have to take pictures of them when I see them. You know, here's the thing. This is 1995. That was the first truck, and that had an 11-liter Series 60 in it. And it was the, um, the oh, no, it didn't. Or did it? Could I still get the, I'd have to go back and look now. I might be confusing a couple trucks. I'd have to go back and look for sure. Uh, certainly had a Series 60. It's all I ran back then. And I tried to buy the 11 liters for as long as I could. Uh, that truck in, in the mid-90s, I had broke eight miles to the gallon pulling doubles. And all the statistics I have read say doubles knock 10% off your fuel economy. Uh, you have another gap you're dealing with, right? That, that, that drag, aero drag alone has got to be terrible on doubles. And and, and you know, two uh, and two sets of three sets of wheels in there now. The the axle on the front trailer, the converter dolly axles and wheels, and then the back trailer. So you're you're creating more right. and more points of disturbance with the axles being spread out too. So I, I've heard ten percent is, is the penalty. So if I was in the low eights. Uh, technically, if I would have pulled a reasonable van around at the same weight, I might have been close to nine. Yeah, yeah. And again, you, you didn't do any any real work on it either, right? So that was uh, that, that that was interesting. Um, uh, that's cool. I had a I had a Facebook message from Dave Moreau, the the guy who's out there kicking ass with the Cascadia right now. Um, he, he brought up a, a, a cool point. Uh, that, that I, I thought was neat, and I just went. I, I, I go in directions, as you could tell. I get distracted. Uh, <laughs> but you, you'd mentioned, you know, you just bought that truck. You didn't know anything about fuel mileage at the time. You weren't, you know, you were want to try to be efficient. I'm sure it was in the back of your mind. But you weren't doing any work to do it, and it was a spec that you just, you know, were able to get. It wasn't like you. Well, you know, no, no, that one. That one I would have specced. Okay, spec I, I spec'd it with gears. I spec'd it with, you know, I, I was using okay. whatever. I have to go back and look. But I, I was 91, 92 is when I bought the first Volvo with an 11 liter, and it got such good fuel economy, I got interested and tried to figure out why. So by 1995, that okay. truck I ordered. Uh, it was a single axle. I mean, I knew that was a big deal. Why everybody at FedEx still runs tandem axles makes me insane, but 
let them keep doing it. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so it was a single axle. It was the 11 liter. I spec'd it to, to gear and run in the right RPM. I did, you know, start. Uh, I had a bypass oil filter on it running synthetic oil. Um, I, I did everything okay. I knew at the time. Okay, cool. Okay, you did do some work. So the, the reason I, I brought this up, uh, you know, Dave sent me a message, and the fact of the matter is that Cascadia is off the shelf. It is not, it's the spec that they're trying to sell. You don't need to get a special anything. You don't need to talk any salesman into selling it to you with that gear. It's, anyone can go buy one tomorrow and not have to, you know, sign off on different gearing and do anything like that. So uh, interesting point about that. And then probably cost a little less than being custom specking one. Uh, and, and, you know, all the, all the, uh, you know, convincing you're going to have to do of the salespeople yeah, to the dealership right. you go to that you're really going to be able to check here and so forth. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I thought that was an interesting point about that. And I, I just love seeing those things do well. I, I always thought that that truck should do well, just largely based upon the aerodynamics and looks. And I, and when I first read about the DT 12, and I guess they've done some tweaking on it since, but I thought it was head and shoulders above anything out there when it came out. Um, obviously the eye shift with crawler gears is probably a better, better solution now, but I can't imagine that the uh, Detroit's far behind on that DT 12. I wouldn't think that. so. And, uh, you know, some, yeah, I mean, it, you know, way back when that thing came out, it was using GPS and other things to know if you're on a hill or not. And it was, there, there, there was some pretty trick stuff, uh, involved there. And, uh, yeah, so I'm glad to see those guys doing well. And, yeah, the interesting thing, like I said, it's you could buy it. It's the spec they're trying to sell. You don't have to talk them into selling it to you. Yeah, which is which is what I thought was pretty. Cool. Yeah, yeah I'm glad to, to me. Glad to see so. we're there finally, or getting there at least. Yep. Good. All right. And, well, you know, the- I'm loving I'm loving the mirror thing taken off too. The the mirrors thing, the, the getting rid of the mirrors thing. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I think that is so cool. I uh, do too. Can't believe it took us this long. Yeah. <laughs> really I, I mean that, that just that makes me a little crazy you know that it, and I you know look at these super truck projects that have been around and they're usually the first ones that get these kind of exemptions from the DOT but they also spend like 15 million dollars to do the same damn thing some of us have been doing for years on on no budget at all right you know, they, for, all, for all the money they've spent on some of these projects, they really haven't come up with much practical that we're using in the world today. <laughs> no, they haven't. No. Yeah. No, they, they really have. There's you know, they showcase some interesting stuff, and some of it does make it to the road. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how you justify it. I really don't. That that kind of expenditure on those projects. I'm glad they do it. I mean, I, they, they waste money on worse things, I think. But, yep, true. It still doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it, <laughs> sometimes you just want to scream, just give us one-tenth of that and watch us go. Oh, if I, you know, a couple million bucks in a truck. Yeah. Uh, I realize that's a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but compared to what they do, yeah, give me a new truck and a couple million dollar budget, which is, you know, Believe it or not, yeah, kind of a racing budget. Uh, right. So, we'll burn through that year, no problem. Yeah. Uh, so it's 
but yeah, you know, nice, nice, fresh, whatever. And okay, give, give, give me a couple million bucks to go run it. We would have to run it. We'd outfit it with everything we could, you know, uh, data wise would do everything we know works and quantify it with that data or find out maybe it didn't work, which is, which could happen. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm not proud. I'll, I'll, you know, when something I think works doesn't, I'll, I'm, yep. I'm, the, I'm the first one to be happy about it. Yeah. All right, move on. Yeah. yeah. And, so. and here would be the end result. At the end of whatever time it took us to do all of this, we would have a practical recommendation on how to go out and buy a truck today that got really good fuel economy. Not something that's not going to happen for 10 or 15 more years. Right. And I mean really good, like 10 or 12. Right. Like that's, you right. know, that's like really, really good. Like, yeah. Like, 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 yeah. It changed the industry good. Yeah. Well, you so. know, I, I can remember back in 07, I think it was. I might be a year or two off. Walmart committed to getting 15 miles to the gallon by 2015. And they made a big deal out of it. Right. And then it just went away. And they did a super truck project. And it was pretty damn cool. And they had some really cool stuff on it. But what happened? Where did it all go? Yeah. They just gave up. And nobody talks about 15 up. miles to the gallon anymore, except maybe Joel. Right. Or Henry it, it, or you Steve know, you or, know you know, some of the real extreme people right. might be dreaming about 15. But, you know, 15 is going to take some serious money and some serious testing to get to. Right. And how do you, you know, do they, maybe they just did the math and couldn't get it back. But if we, if we had, if the high fuel prices maintain for like a long time, that might happen again. Yeah. You know, maybe it's just a cheap fuel on the horizon well, enough to, to well, do it. Or, or is it electric trucks on the horizon now that make them not do it? Yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, who knows? I know. And, you know, here's the other thing. I've always said, I actually prefer to fail at goals. I want to set them so damn big, I'm almost positive I'm going to fail. But if we set a goal to 15, to get to 15 and we got to 12 and a half instead, would that really be a failure? That's okay. <laughs> Not at all. No. Yeah, right. Job, yeah. Right. So, yep. so set the bar high so you have to work a little harder at it. Yep. All right. Absolutely. Uh, let's... Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's throw Joel into the mix and find out what happened, and then all three of us can talk over each other because that's uh, that's what we do because we all want to talk and we all have a lot to say. <laughs> Joel, welcome back. Hey man, I'm dealing with two lanes roundabouts and DOT officers in beautiful New England, so I'm I'm just loving life today. <laughs> well, well, you're, you're you're laughing and you're happy, so you must have uh, fared well with the DOT officers. Oh, I, I had no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Cruise through that that just a uh, blip. Yeah, yeah, I said yeah absolutely. Right. So yeah. back on the. Back on the road and uh, getting up to my last customer to drop my last patch of furniture and then hopefully get my backhaul on yet today and be home Saturday at some point. There you go. There you go. So what else you got going that's, on? That's the plan. Oh, I've got some pretty cool stuff. We have a new safety device that we are deploying fleet-wide called Driver Eye. Um, 
really, really cool. It's a forward-facing camera, and it does it does look backwards a little bit. It, it goes to about the steering wheel. It's got two cameras off to the side that are wide angle, so it basically gets the dash. It doesn't look completely back into the truck, so, you know, if somebody's doing something that they're doing, we're not going to see it, and we probably don't want to see it, you know what I mean? And, uh, so that's, that's kind of nice, but it's... Um, it's really cool because a lot of the a lot of the metrics for safety coincide with efficiency. So acceleration rates, following distances, all the things that apply to safety also apply to efficiency. That's a good point. And this gives you some re- really, really nice reports in addition to capturing video that I'm going to be able to pair with my pedal coach information and all that real deep drill down stuff I can do to, to really gather some convincing data on how speed impacts efficiency and productivity and, and whatnot. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to get my head around this thing and everything that it can do. And, and, uh, it's going to be fun. Awesome. You, um, you just reminded me of something. I, I want to mm-hmm. jump in and interrupt you cause that's what we do on this show. Um, Mm -hmm. I used to recommend one of my recommendations for fuel economy. I used to recommend people go take the uh, Smith system driver training. Have you ever been through that one? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I used to say all the time, it will help you be a safer driver. It just reminds you of things you should have known anyway, and you should have been taught at some point. But I, I say more importantly, it will improve your fuel economy if you drive this way. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. There is a direct correlation between safe driving and fuel efficiency, no doubt about it. The the thing that people have problem getting their head around is how does it impact productivity? And that's the harder thing to judge because it's a lot harder for people to track productivity in most instances. And I've got some tools here that I can really drill down on, you know, average speeds on the highway, overall averages. I, I, I can get some real detail on how it's impacting productivity. And, and uh, so that's, that's pretty, pretty damn cool. Well, and I think you're a great, uh, a great test case for something like this because you do a lot of multi-stop stuff where that productivity is even more critical. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. You've got to manage your time and you've got to be on top of things. And uh, if you're not, you get behind, you'll never, never catch up. So yeah, you're exactly right. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. Any that's interesting. Hey, Joel. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, go ahead, John. Uh, trying to avoid stepping on anybody here, but again, I, I blurt out thoughts from time to time. Your Kevin, like a Garmin watch and Joel, that unit of yours, is there, is there any way to possibly pair that with the biometrics like of a Garmin so you could track driver stress as well? Uh, well, I, I realize I, I that, would, upon, that could possibly fridge upon some personal freedoms, but I, I would love to be able to do that. For, yeah. yeah. Because I, really, I think that, that stress and productivity and and all the things drivers go through on a daily basis all this ties together and and you really have to have an understanding of this in order for a company like Kloger to improve the driver's experience and and their life quality of life on the road and whatnot so i uh the speed impact your stress level, your blood pressure, you know, what is it, what is it doing? And, and what is the, the real world impact of, of just driving faster? Um, 
right. I, I, I think I think it would surprise a lot of people, honestly. And I'd love to be able to collect all that data and, and uh, tie this all together. We I mean, I mean, obviously, you couldn't force your drivers to do it, but if they volunteered to, or if they were willing to, I mean, it would be, you know, that's I think that would be a home run. And again, Kevin, that would work into the app idea I had as well. I mean, you could work yeah, all it would. The biometrics into that. Yeah, it would. I, uh... um, and and I and I. And I I know Garmin pairs seamlessly with many different, different, different things like that. So yeah, it would be, it'd be interesting to see if you work it all in the human factor, the stress factor, you know, you could, you get the stress numbers on the guy and watch his fuel, fuel numbers tank. You know, it, it, it would yeah, be interesting yeah. to see that. Yeah. And so far, well, my, and the bigger, my experience with the people I work with at Garmin, they love this kind of stuff. They love this really specialty kind of niche stuff where, you know, they can use their data to make improvements. So uh, that's certainly something I'll approach them with. You know, and in the bigger picture from a fleet standpoint, we lost three drivers this year, two in the truck and then one at home, all heart attack um, issues, you know, with, with heart issues and whatnot. So, uh for us as a fleet, I think it's imperative that we really get our our mind around this and really start to understand how stress is impacting our employees and then doing everything we can to mitigate that stress level. Hey, Joel, how many drivers do you have? Seventy. Seventy. So one of the things I figured out a long, long time ago on fuel mileage and other things was I hate working with fleets. I, I hate it so much, I completely mm-hmm. gave it up. I figured, you know, that's where all the money is. If I can help a single truck owner-operator save $10,000 a year in fuel, why aren't I working with 100 truck fleets? Because the numbers are incredible. But after a year or two mm-hmm. of trying, I figured out why I didn't work with 100 truck fleets, because they're a major pain in the ass and nothing ever gets done. And it, it just, it was a horrible experience. But then here we are now, yeah. we're, we're doing something around health, driver health, which is so important. And I keep getting tempted to go back to the fleets because my goal, I want to reach more people with this. We know it works. We've proven it works we've proven it can be done easily on the road and i just i want to spread it and i keep some mornings i wake up and go maybe you should develop a fleet program and then i whack my thumb with a hammer and go no remember what that felt like don't do that again um but but i could see you know a company like yours that that's really into this kind of stuff would would they be interested in some sort of a health program most likely, I'll tell you, the fleets that are managed by people that have actually drove trucks, um, they are generally receptive to this stuff. The bigger fleets that are managed by bean counters and bookkeepers and accountants, they have Never. no tolerance for this type of stuff. This yeah. is stuff that just costs them time and money, and, and it doesn't fit in with their... Um, economy of scale concept of how to manage a fleet you're exactly right you're exactly right so i I kind of knew there there is a sweet spot out there somewhere and it's not just the size of the company it's part of it but it's also what you just said who manages this how how close are they still to the drivers and that lifestyle and um and then the the challenge was okay now how much time do you have to go spend to find these companies and sell the concept and uh but maybe as part of all this stuff we're doing maybe at some point we should talk about that 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, hey, I mean, I'm probably one of the few people in the position that you know were involved with fleet management that actually supports the idea of of drivers, you know, getting overtime and disconnecting mileage pay because we're regulated by the hour. I think drivers should be paid by the hour. If you're regulated by the hour, I think that impacts their safety, their stress level when you're paid by the mile and regulated by the hour. So all kinds of things in that regard that, yeah, I could probably work on. Well, let me throw out one other concept that I've, every time I talk to the industry, I've brought this up, whether it's, you know, at the TCA or, um, you know, big fleets I've worked with or, or whatever. And, you know, I kind of challenge them with this and they all stare back at me like a deer in headlights. I thought, you know, here's the thing. What are the two biggest costs in trucking? Wages and fuel. And the fuel price Mm -hmm. determines which one's number one and number two. Right now, fuel is the number one cost for a fleet. If fuel drops below three fifty a gallon or four bucks a gallon, I forget the exact number, and there's some variables. But then wages become number one. But it's clear, sure, wages and fuel are one and two, and they just switch back and forth now and then based on fuel price. So why in the hell do we have a system that puts those two things in conflict? The absolute best way well, it, to get better fuel yeah. economy is just slow the hell down. It works just about every well, it, single time. Here, here is the point. The, 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 the trucking industry since deregulation was solely driven by productivity. There is no time value equated with the driver. None. Right. They're, they're, they're right. just not. It's by, it's by the mile. So it does not pay a driver to slow down. No. So when you really look at the safety, health, and fuel efficiency are all interconnected. There is no doubt about that. All three are interconnected. And when we pay people by the mile and we regulate them by the hour, stress levels go up, fuel economy goes down, and safety suffers. There's no question about that. Nobody can argue that, but yet we still do it. And, 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 then, and then we bitch and complain we can't hire drivers and they're dying <laughs> off. We can't keep them in the truck. It's just amazing. And, and, and if, without any argument, we could also throw in maintenance costs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I had actually talked to my brother about that. You had mentioned how does speed impact maintenance costs, and we're going to try and put some numbers together. I don't know how much he wants to give away on this, but uh, I'll get what I can get and then share it with everybody. And and uh, it's it's eye opening. Though speed absolutely drives maintenance costs through the roof. Yep. Yep. It's it's shocking when we talk about this the way we just did. How. Could we be any wronger in the way we do things? Oh, it, it is. It's, it's a complete disaster, and it's unsustainable. I mean, we've got, what, 200% driver turnover. We've got wages that are all over the board. There's no uniformity. There's no value placed on driver's time. Shippers and receivers could care less how long you're setting somewhere. They just don't so, care because there's no motive, no motivation to care. You so, know, it's just let, always been a per mile thing with no no time attached, no time value attached. Let me let me read something for you. I read it at my open. I know both of you guys were busy, but um, I, I just got this email from Noel Perry, who analyze, has been analyzing the trucking industry for as long as the trucking industry has been around. I, I pulled one quote out from this email he sent me. Listen to this. Combine bad energy, what he means is high fuel prices, combine bad energy, bad inflation, add in bad global politics, 
and you have the most threatening economic environment for trucking since at least 1980. Well, what that really tells us is we have the most threatening economic environment in trucking ever because you can't compare anything in trucking prior to 1980 to trucking today. They're two totally different industries. One was heavily financially regulated, and this one isn't. So it's like this trucking Mm -hmm. industry that we're in started in 1981 under deregulation, and Noel Perry saying this is the most threatening economic environment ever. Maybe we really, really need to revisit with the industry this topic we're talking about right now. Oh, there is no doubt. And look, I get people jump all over me the second I bring up any type of regulation in the industry. I am not for the heavy handed type of regulation we had, you know, uh, in the seventies, the sixties and the seventies. I am not for that, but we do need to get some things straight here because drivers are bearing the brunt of this, especially company drivers. And if we take care of company drivers and we get some uniform wage protection or guarantees in place for company drivers, that's only going to help owner operators because wages will have to come or rates will have to come up to accommodate the, the wage protection. And it should come up. We're, we're just doing things too damn cheap. Even though rates are high, we're still too cheap. And, and I think the industry numbers prove that out. I look at our accident rate, look at the nuclear verdicts, look at the turnover rate, the churn rate. Every statistic you look at in this industry says we suck. Yeah, we do. We do. And it's time, it's, it's time to fix that. Yeah, it is. Our, uh, it's, it's past time. This should have been dealt oh, with yeah. 20 right. years ago. But, uh, you know, better to start now than, than never. And, and I think where you start is disconnecting the, the pay schemes that want to pay by the mile or percentage. If you're going to regulate somebody by the hour, you damn well better pay them by the hour. And that includes overtime that uh, company drivers should get that, that, that is the starting point to everything because now a company driver can slow down or be delayed and he doesn't have to get shot the shit because I can't get 28 gazillion miles to make a decent paycheck. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And when when you think about that, what it's doing is it puts public safety at risk and that has to be the number one concern. And our accident rate and these mega pileups that we've seen are just proving the point that we put productivity over safety. Well, and and that should never happen. And John, I know you want to jump in here. I'm going to make one more comment and then you jump in. Um, So I think most people know how I feel about government regulation. I'm very anti-regulation. I like free markets. I like the market to decide things. But every industry is heavily regulated already. What I want is regulations that actually make some sense. We, We try to regulate safety, but we do stupid things like you just described. Well, let's scrap a whole bunch of those stupid safety regulations we already have that aren't working, and let's go back to the root cause of why drivers have become so unsafe. And they have been. I don't, I don't even like being out on the road with them anymore. Uh, man, some of the stuff I've caught on my little camera here just in the last couple days it just I, it's embarrassing for it the is. industry it is it really is it is so I, i'm not asking to pile on a bunch of new regulations i'm asking to rework all the stupid regulations we already have that don't work yeah you're exactly right and and you know it doesn't make any difference 
conservative, liberal. It's not about your ideology. It's about being smart and using some common sense regulations that are going to improve the industry across the board for everybody, drivers, fleets, shippers and receivers, and the motoring public at large. There you go. John, jump in. I know you had something there. Uh, I was uh, going to back way up to your selling health to, to fleets. And, Kevin, you know the ones that will probably be receptive are the ones that we see now. We see some progressive fleets that are, uh, you know, adopting Arrow, and you, you've got guys like Bomb and MVT that always come to mind that are that are really on it and looking for every every dime they can get that would probably be really receptive to you. I mean, you know, you get to go to Yellow, the ones who participate in the NACFI stuff, but run on less guys, and if they're, if they're that serious about fuel mileage and efficiency, you gotta got to believe they got to care about it health and driver retention and you know especially if it finds them another tenth or two of a mile per gallon <laughs> think about that yeah so yeah, that's I, I think you've got an opening there um the whole regulated by the by the hour and, and driving the miles is, is ridiculous and it's not a lot of people like to blame the the eld but the eld is just enforcing laws that were already there you know what i mean it's not like if someone was pulling it off before, I mean, I, I know my, my race rig had two or three log books in it at all times. I mean, it just, it, it did. I mean, and Ray, my truck stopped. If he had to be somewhere and, you know, he, he made it. It didn't matter. But the fact of the matter is he's breaking the law. You know, and it's not like that's anything new. Uh, it's just coming to a head now because people are, are no longer breaking the law because it's a lot harder to. Uh, and, and, and it makes sense. And, and, and your, your drivers really need to be paid by the hour. I agree 100%. And one of the things that opened my eyes to that was my visit to the Peterbilt plant uh, back in December. And that plant was built in the mid to late 80s. And it was one of the very first that adopted the just-in-time philosophy, meaning that they don't warehouse anything there. There are docks and docks and docks, you know, trucks back up with wiring harnesses, trucks back up with, uh, cab parts, interior parts, all the plastics come from wherever they were molded in another truck. So the building itself is not huge, but, but there, there are, I believe it's the south and the, the east side of it are nothing but loading docks. And they literally work out of the trucks. So it's impossible for you to not get stuck there at some point. And when Steve had his little run-in with Ford there, there a few weeks ago and got stuck wherever he was, at a Ford plant, it, it's just in time manufacturing, which sometimes is going to cause a, a truck to sit there for a while. <laughs> it's just what it's going to be. And the guy's got to be paid for that. that, 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 that really, I don't, I'm not even a truck driver. And I, that hurts me when I hear about this retention time thing. Like, it, that is just awful. The guy you know what? He's on the road. <laughs> you know what's ironic about just-in-time deliveries is that if you are the carrier and you hold up that factory, you've got to pay every one of their employees. <laughs> but if they hold up your truck, they tell you to go pound salt. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been... Um, I kind of avoided this subject for a lot of years because I primarily worked with owner operators and my point for them is, look, you can go scream about this all you want. It's probably not going to change. If, if anybody's going to get this changed, it's going to be the big fleets or the big associations. And, and as a small business owner, deal with it. Find a better customer. Stop going to those places. Use what control you have. So it's one of those things I didn't even know 
how to address it or approach it. So in my market, I thought there's more important things we could be doing. But now I'm to the point where the trucking industry is such a mess that we we can't keep ignoring that even if it and i am far more interested in the, the entire industry now and the health of drivers and and all of this stuff is absolutely tied together and what's really cool nowadays versus even 10 years ago we have so much real data and the ability to collect efficiency data, dwell time data, and now even how the stress level goes up when the dwell time goes up and how that impacts driver's health and the safety of the motoring public, even a smaller fleet can really put together a, a very powerful presentation on why things need to change. And we could have never done that 10 years ago. Yeah, good. You know, no. it, it's interesting. Everything the three of us talk about, we, we and what we get excited about, how we could change this or we could change that, we can improve this. Every single thing we talk about comes back to data. It, we we all had these same ideas twenty twenty five years ago. We just didn't have the data to do anything about it. No way to get the data. That's exactly right. I could go out on the road and come back and my brother was in the office and I'll say, well, that really stuck because of this, this, and this, but I had no way to prove exactly what was going on right. other than it just felt wrong. Now you can prove every bit of it, even to the point where, like you said, we can start looking at stress levels of drivers and how that impacts their health. Yeah. yeah. And their safety. You, you, you're, a, a stressed out driver is a dangerous driver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. So I, I think that nowadays, a group of three people, like, we can move mountains. I think so. Where before, we, we had no hope of doing anything. Yep. So I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for getting involved in something like that. I, you know, being a driver that, you know, I run 125,000 miles a year most years, sometimes more. Uh, I've driven over four and a half million miles. And I can tell you, I got in right after deregulation. And I can remember the guys that in the early 70s to the mid 70s, you know, they lived well. Uh, they, they made decent money and they lived well. I got in the industry and um, I'm like, what the hell? What's wrong here? And I was young and didn't realize that, you know, I was, I was getting my well, ass kicked and they were taking advantage of me. So you just done it because you love to drive. And, exactly. And um, so, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was problematic, I, no doubt. I, 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 you know, I won't say I yearn for those days, but, uh, you know, you know there, there was a dark side to the regulated era, obviously. But where we were uh, here in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, with all the steel around and runs between Pittsburgh and Gary uh, were nonstop. Uh, I just started at the diesel shop at the Bruce's when I just at the beginning of deregulation, shall we say, I was started there in 84. And we had some guys that were making a hell of a living. You know, if you were an owner operator, had your own authority, you, these, you know, back in the late mid eighties, these guys were knocking down, you know, 150, 200 grand a year. Like these guys were making big money and oh, yeah. they yeah. almost went out of business. I mean, they really, they, they all, it, 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 it disappeared seemingly overnight to me because I came in at the tail end of it. You know, some of those guys were still doing pretty well, but by 86, 87, they, they were gone. You know, the, which, those guys, are, yeah. you know, which, uh, nice shiny beats and we're making 150 a year. 
The, um, you know, they, they were also running the coast without sleeping and stealing fuel from company trucks and parking lots and things. I remember climbing under a truck once. A guy had a pneumatic powered, great big hydraulic pump and a hose mounted under his cab. Uh, he said it'd be a pulling to a, he called it a cornflake truck, a consolidated freight truck or, or a yellow or, a, or, or whatever everyone hated back then. And he hit it back in beside him in the, in the truck stop and it did throw it in there so he could empty his tanks in 15 minutes. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, and I will say, I, I got in right when it was probably. Probably, you know, 86 is when I bought my first truck. So um, I, I gave a statistic this morning I'll come back to. The only thing I'll say about prior to deregulation was the the worst part about the system, which made it all null and void to me, was it was some government agency that decided winners and losers. It, it was right. overly regulated. There's no doubt about but that. You couldn't get authority. But it, yeah, you couldn't get authority. Yeah, you, had exactly right. you, you had to go buy it. You had to go buy it. And, and that, that, that was just wrong. The guys who played the game, who did it, they, they kicked ass. There was some of it. It was hilarious. And, and we watched. I'll tell you, the, the, that business back then, the, the, the diesel injection, as it was called then, uh, we would have guys... It was like this big pissing contest to see who go over Cuyahoga the fastest. And if someone got passed, if we had one of our guys got passed, they were back at the shop the next day for another <laughs> turbo or for whatever. Hey. It was crazy. <laughs> These are guys hey. their own regulation. They had, it, was, it was just, well, it'd be on the phone, so-and-so passed, what'd you do to his truck? Like, I want to thumb to mine. Like, hey. it was hilarious. It hey. Was, it was, hey, John. And that was John. the first of his business. That's how, okay. that's how it all went down. It was hilarious. John, we we could say the same thing about uh, Joel and Henry and Steve Crone and but it, it's what do you mean he got two more tenths of a mile per gallon? Give me that, damn it! <laughs> this is true. Uh, even more, I really do. I like the efficiency even more. Yeah, it was, it was the same vibe. It really was. Yeah, and you know, again, and you see it. And I hope it doesn't go away, but you are seeing it again now where guys who hustle, guys like Steve, really are doing well as owner-operators, yes. right? So, so yeah. have, it's, it's taken nearly 30 years as far as I'm concerned, or maybe maybe well, more. We, uh, it's been good for a while, but to get back to that point where there were, where there are, you know, guys who are, are kicking ass like they like they did back then. Back then, they scratched whoever's back or paid whatever they paid for their authority and, you know, played the game to get what they got, but they... They were good. I mean, those guys were. It, it, just, it, it was form, formative years for me, you know. So to, to meet that and see that, and like it was, it, it was cool. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it was for me, too. Um, two points, and then we might actually take a phone call. Um, so if you want to start lining up calls, we have one. We can probably take some more. Um, two points. One, they, they did have another advantage back then that we no longer have today. Amphetamines were legal. <laughs> Did them too. I'm telling you, it was, it was, it was, some of the stories that tell me. Yeah. Oh, was, uh, my dad did. It was, it was something. Yeah. yeah I, there, there, there used to be a bowl of black beauties on the breakfast table. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
ka dun. Then the other crazy statistic that I quoted this morning, um, as of right now, van rates are down 89 cents since their peak. And I, I got that's, that's 100% right. Yeah, 89 cents. And fuel was up, uh, what, another 54 cents this week. If you add up all the increases this week. Um, so rates were down 89 cents from their peak. The first contract I sold was like 71 or 72 cents a mile is what I got paid total. <laughs> total. The rates have yeah, dropped yeah, more yeah, than I used yeah. to make. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> Crazy That's stuff. Let's uh, let, let's grab a phone call and uh, four of us can talk over each other. Let's go to Georgia. Alan, welcome to the program. Uh, good, but you've got to come back to the phone. You sound like you're a mile away. Is this better? That's better. Now I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Cool. Okay, guys. Since all three of you are there now, riddle me this. On February 24th, my husband and I, we, we run uh, dedicated for UPS through Landstar, and we picked up a pup in Houston to bring it back to Atlanta. We moved our fifth wheel back four notches, four inches. From February 25th until now, we have gained a full mile per gallon on our fuel mileage. And, and we are, we're in fuel gauges, so I, I can prove it. <laughs> so, we, don't, we don't understand. So, we moved the fifth wheel back four inches and gained a full mile per gallon. Well, hold, hold on, and I'll, I'll tell you the first thing that comes to my mind, and you can tell me if it's a possibility or not. What part of the country do you spend most of your time in? I-20 and below. Um, so we know one of the things that's changed in the last couple of years is that part of the country now sees some pretty nasty winter weather. Slush and snow and right. freezing rain and we have winter fuel. And temperatures right. were much, much colder, which people don't realize how, John, you can probably explain this really well, how dense air gets when it gets cold and how hard it is to push through. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is the, the moving the fifth wheel had some sort of an impact, probably a small negative impact, but a mile per gallon gain would not be hard coming out of winter conditions and winter fuel. But that, we, that, again, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go, go, go ahead. Well, but see, we, we've taken that into consideration. We've had this truck for almost four years, before years this August. When it's a DD-13 Freightliner Cascadia with um, just regular tires, regular wheels, are the, the, the duels. Um, it, it, this truck is consistently for three and a half years ran in the mid sevens. And we've done a couple of adjustments or a couple of improvements. Um, we put on the fleet air filter at Pittsburgh Power uh, two and a half years ago. Um, and we, we had the Dorothy on there hoping that we could solve some of our EGR problems with that. 
it didn't solve anything. It, we ended up taking that back off a year ago. But like I said, you know, we, I, we've been running this route now for 18 months and we've never been able to get over that, that seven and a half, seven, eight miles to the gallon. Now we're consistently running eight and a half to 8.8. And I just, I've, I've tried to take all of those things into consideration, but none of it's ever changed. It's, it continues to be better and better every single week. So I, I didn't know if, if moving the fifth wheel made in any kind of an impact or if we were just running, got the truck healthy enough that we're running into a sweet spot now that it's going to stay consistent. Have you put new, have you put new tires or changed the tires on the truck lately? Nope. 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 These, these trucks, these tires have almost 350,000 on them. Okay, so they're getting wore down pretty good. So that part well, alone compared no, to when they're, they're not wore down at all. We will get at least another year, year and a half out of them. They are really in good shape. But we keep our pressure up to one twenty okay. on them. Well, as as tires wear, everybody just needs to be aware. As as they wear, obviously they get smaller. And unless you're going in and adjusting your dash to accommodate for that change in size and diameter. Uh, your your odometer is not accurate, and the calculation on the dash is not going to be accurate. Will that throw it uh, a mile a gallon? No, but a deep lug tire that's wore three quarters of the way down can throw that number a half mile a gallon. And when um, you it, it's up to a half mile a gallon. And there's two things that right. happen when that tire wears down, and I have a chart somewhere, but I believe. From the time the tire is new till you get it to 20% of tread left, there's a 30% improvement in rolling resistance. So we have an incorrect calculation, which makes it look better, and we have a true gain because we have less rolling resistance the more rubber we wear off that tire. Here's the thing. We could go back to the, the fifth wheel, and Joel, you tell me if I'm even in the ballpark on this. We could put it at the optimal. Where, where we know this is the absolute best it's ever going to get. And then we could take it and we, move it, we could right. move it two feet back from that and you wouldn't lose a mile per gallon. No, it won't be a mile a gallon, but it, it would be enough you would notice it. Four inches, uh, you'd be very, very hard-pressed to pick that up with a single-truck operation, track and fuel mileage. Maybe, but uh, I don't think that has anything to do with it, uh, a four-inch move on your, on your fifth wheel. There's there's other things at play here, exactly what it is. Um, not being involved with the truck on a day-to-day basis and not knowing everything that's going on, it's truly hard to say. I would start, you know, you're just kind of looking at that tire size. They do get more efficient as they wear, and the calculation is off as they wear, unless you would adjusted for it most people don't and so they love it when their tires start to wear down they're thinking man i'm kicking butt and then they put new (laughs) tires on and they're crying the blues (laughs) so so Years and I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, we are not changing these tires this summer. We are hanging on to them. So, there. Yeah. Let them fall in the so, all right, yeah. let, oh, yeah, yeah. let me speculate. Oh, go ahead, John. Go ahead. Okay. I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying there, especially the tire size deal. That's something. And, and I'm sorry the Dorothy didn't work out for you. That was, uh, 
the DD13 is a pretty clean running engine, and it usually, it, yeah. some of the 15s, it picks some stuff up in, but the 13s are really clean. That thing works best on a Cummins. A dirty old ISX, they work fantastic on, but other engines tend to be clean enough to not need it. Um, well, the, uh, so did you change? Oh, good. No, 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 go, go, go ahead, Jay, change what? Oh, so you, you said you picked up a new trailer, is it a different trailer than you were hauling before? No, we, we run for, we run a dedicated for UPS and we're, we're changing right. trailers at every single hub that we stop at. So we just set it back to haul a pub and then I, for, I forgot to set it back where we usually oh. have it. And like I said, that, that's where that change, I mean, so, you can see it, it's so definitive on the pages. But you're all on a pup now and not a full-length trailer? No. No, no, no. Yeah, every week is a new adventure in trailers with you. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, cause that's, that's, to me, that's a bigger variable than anything we're talking about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Let, yeah. But, but you're, they're changing enough that, so that just kind of washes itself out. Yeah, so let, let me kind of see if I could tell the story of how this may have occurred to get to this mile per gallon change that seems like it was one thing um, and probably wasn't. So we've identified as the tires wear out, the calculation becomes inaccurate. As the tires wear out, they get a little more efficient. We are coming out of winter weather and winter fuel. And I know you've done that prior and you didn't see this kind of, but sometimes these things all come together at once. Here's something else. And every driver I ever talk to will deny that this is happening, but I absolutely know it's happening. I've proved it. As your fuel mileage gets better, you work harder at it. You focus on it more. You focus on it more. Real quick. I got to bounce. I got a car on track in ten minutes. I got to get get to my uh, get to my pit lane station Great. there. So uh, enjoy talking to y'all. Glad, glad to be here again. Oh, you're welcome. Great, 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 great to talk to you again. All right. Great we'll stuff, John. Thanks. So yeah, back to that thought. I, I, one of the challenges I used to give people was. All I want you to do for 30 days is track every tank of fuel accurately on fuel gauges. Don't do anything else. Don't make any changes to your truck. Don't change the way you drive. We just want to get a 30-day average. And in the beginning, I didn't know what was going to happen. All I was trying to do was establish a good baseline so, because that's the starting point of really knowing if you're making improvements or not. And I started seeing this pattern. Right. I'd follow people while they're doing this, and in the 30 days, their fuel mileage would improve. And I would tell them, I told you not to do anything. We didn't, I swear, we didn't change anything. Yes, you did. It was such a clear pattern. But it was, it was the fact that as they focused on it, it started to get better, and when it got better, they got more excited and more focused on it, and it kept getting better. Yeah, and that, I think that, that's, that's part of what, what happened with us is that it, it, was, it, it got to the point where I used to dread having to get on fuel gauges to put in our fuel because I'm like, why can't we get this truck to get any better? I mean, we've got the air, the air filter. We've got, you know, we keep it really right. close on our tires. We're, we're always driving really conservatively. And now it's like, 
I can't wait. I mean, literally, I cannot <laughs> wait to put it in because it's like, oh, nine miles a gallon. Oh, it's so awesome. It really is. It, it's really nice to know that. And especially now that fuel prices are up, it, we're actually, for the, for the last two months, we are actually under our fuel surcharge. Awesome. Which is amazing for that UPS because they don't, they don't give a good fuel surcharge. So, so we all know what the, really good run. we all know what the placebo effect is, right? Yep. This is actually called the nocebo effect. <laughs> there you go. That works. We that see works. That, that we, works. We see that exact same trend with the pedal coach. So I trained my stepson for a year and a half, and I, I showed him every trick that I knew. And when he was with me, he was a solid nine-mile-a-gallon driver. When I kicked him out wow. in his own truck, he went right down to seven. Wow. And he was there for about a year and a half. And then I said, okay, Trav, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to put the pedal coach in your truck. And he went to a nine and a half mile a gallon driver overnight. Wow. Just because he had something to challenge him and to concentrate on. And the pedal coach scores your behavior. And so when it's cold and in the wintertime, you can see his behavior kind of drop a little bit. And then when it gets warm, like you're talking about, you can tell he's getting excited because his <laughs> score is going way up. So it, it's absolutely uh, yep. coming out of winter weather. There's, there's a lot of, of real tangible things you can point to that say it increases, but it's attitude that also really increases your fuel efficiency as the weather gets nicer. You're just in a better mood. So you, you, you do a better job. <laughs> yeah, that was the week after we had to sit 18 hours on the highway uh, in Texas because of an ice storm. Yeah, ice storm, yeah. There. We sat. That, was, that was nasty. And to have that happen the week later, it was like, oh, this is amazing. I can't believe it. But I, I can't think of a better time for this to be happening for us particularly because because of the fuel prices, it, it, it'll make an owner operator really, really cringe right now. You know, it's scary stuff. So I'm, I'm thankful it's happening. I'm just hoping it stays like this. And I, I have one more question. Sure. How do I get into the nine mile an hour uh, or the, the nine mile per gallon club? Do I actually have to be at the nine or can I be working toward the nine to get in there? I, I want to be in there you, so bad. You, you can get in there at four miles a gallon. Uh, on the Facebook group, you can just send a request. And on, on uh, the uh, the social media site here, you can just, just send a request. We'll, we'll get you in. Yeah. Yeah. No requirement. No no requirement. We'll get you in. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, you guys. Yeah. See, yeah, we, we, on there, which I was stunned about. But. We, we understand truck drivers. If you actually had to get nine miles to the gallon to be in the club, they would all just lie. <laughs> all right guys thank you so much for your time y'all have a great weekend and we'll be listening on monday you're welcome thanks for the call great stuff yeah I, I, joel you and i have seen that kind of stuff over and over and over where we're a, a bunch of things all come together at once and it's really hard to kind of get through the noise and figure it out but i think we've got a pretty good idea of what caused all that yeah, you know, fuel efficiency oftentimes just comes down to attitude and optimization. It, it really does. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a, a whole bunch of things that you do to your truck. Get your attitude right. Optimize what you have first. Then when you start laying down numbers, then you can start to tinker and play with things that you think may improve it. But really, attitude 
attitude, attitude. It truly is. You've got to believe that you're going to get this done, and this is what my number is going to be. If you don't have that attitude going in, you might as well forget about it. All the other stuff in the world is not going to help you. You know, that that's a good point, and it's something else I keep looking at year after year after year, and this may explain it, is the fact that it's, it's almost criminal to me that the average fuel economy in trucking is still somewhere in the sixes. How can that be? Uh, Yeah, really. Come on, come on. (laughs) 25 years ago, we could beat that without even trying that hard. And the technology hasn't improved so much. But what hasn't changed is the attitude of drivers. And we've talked about, we just spent a whole whole show talking about it. The attitude is run hard, run fast, get the job done, screw fuel economy. Right. Yep. 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 When, when, when you we're regulated the way we are and paid the way we are, you're automatically in a bad mood when you walk out the door. I mean, you just are, it it just sucks. And you really can't concentrate on efficiency as a company driver because you're being paid for productivity and nothing else. Right. Yep. Yep. It's uh, I, boy, I think we solved some world problems today. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> or at least we, we came up with some ideas on how to. Now we just have to go do it. No, you know, seriously, though, I really think there's some things that, that we can do as, you know, just a smaller you know group of individuals coming together just because now we can track information and collect data that in the past only the mega fleets could collect. In fact, we can probably do a better job of it and put together a more comprehensive report just simply because you know, we're out here living this day to day Yes. where you've got a bunch of the guys sitting in the ivory tower that they're looking at data and analyzing it. And you can only analyze data to a certain degree. If you're not out here living it and experiencing it and understanding what's going on, you're not truly going to be able to put together a, a good solution for the industry, in my opinion. No, you're right. And here's something else to, to think about. You know, when you say maybe just the three of us could do even more than a big fleet or a big group or, or whatever. And, and one of the things I've always said, and there's so many examples of it, um, Apple would not be Apple without Steve Jobs. One person, one, not, not a committee, not a group somewhere, not an entire management team. Apple would not be Apple without Steve Jobs. Tesla would not be Tesla without Elon Musk. One person usually is what makes the difference. Too many companies today yeah. are run by committee and groups and meetings, and it, 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 it takes a strong leader or a very strong leadership team to really turn these big things around. So the, the three of us, we're talking about this, we have the experience, we have the knowledge, and all three of us have also created some, some pretty damn strong relationships with other people and companies that have the kind of resources that, that we could marshal and lead, but it requires leaders. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's something to be said for 
somebody having grassroots experience in the industry and, and working with other people at the grassroots level to put together solutions rather than just analyzing data as it flows in off the trucks with somebody that may be very technically astute, but has no idea, doesn't know the difference between a steering wheel and a fifth wheel. You know what I mean? And um, so I think, I think that is a huge advantage if you're serious about wanting to make changes in the industry, you bring the type of experience together that, you know, us three as a group have. I, I think that's a pretty powerful tool. It is. It is. So uh, I'm glad we're talking about this. I want to talk about it more. Um, we are going to wrap this up. Um, we'll let you get to your day so you can get, uh, get that backhaul on and start heading west and get back home. Joel? Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, there you are. Cut out for just a second. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah, definitely. So we'll we'll talk about all this stuff some more. I'm looking forward to it. I think we Oh, yeah, we're losing for for everybody. There you go. All right, we're losing you. I'm going to cut you loose. Let you get on with your day. I'm going to get on with mine. And uh it's been a great week. Um really liked a lot of the shows this week. A lot of exciting stuff going on. I know my open today was kind of negative. Um, my, you know, take on the economy and the industry for the last year or so has been pretty negative. My take on the government, what's going on in our country has been kind of negative. Um, but you have to identify the problem. You have to face the problem and admit that it's a problem and things are wrong. And I've really been trying to get more and more people to look at that and see. Uh, and then we can start fixing it. And I think that's where we're at now. We're at that turning point. It's time to start fixing things. And there's a lot of things to fix. And again, I'm going to ask you for, uh, for your support in that. Head on over to truckingtribe.com if you're not a member. Healthytribe.com and letstruck.com. Also, uh, if... I think everybody listening to me, I don't know if it makes any sense uh, for me to say this to all the people that are listening, but just in case, or if you want to pass this along to somebody else, if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, and we're going to be adding new shows and new episodes, and they're going to be at different times and days, and um, our app will, will be out, which will make a huge improvement in this soon. But if you want to stay connected and know what's going on and know when we're doing shows, um, get out your phone right now or grab something at least to write with, and I'll tell you how to do it, and then you can share it with others. That's another way you can support us. We're getting really close. We're still not mass you know, marketing the new network and the new show because we're not quite ready yet, but we're really, really getting close every day. So if you grab your phone and you send a text to this number. So put this number in your phone to send a text to 855-997-3835. I'll give you that number one more time. 855-997-3835. And here's all you need to put in the text. One word, tribe. That's it. Put tribe, hit send. Within less than a minute, you should get a response. 
and you have total control over this text. You can stop them at any time. In fact, every time we send you a message, part of the message tells you exactly how to stop it. You just type stop back. That's it. And then you can start it up again if you want. We don't want to spam you. We don't want to send you a bunch of notifications you don't want. So we always give you complete control over what you get from us. Um, thanks again for your support. It's been awesome. Uh, I think together our tribe can, can really, really make a difference. Uh, I'm asking again for your support. Thank you. We will see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.